general resumes don't get anyone jobs at a professional level. I don't, I don't want to say they don't get anyone jobs, but they are very ineffective. And especially for highly competitive jobs, like in the entertainment industry or the fashion industry, they will not get you a job. Hello, welcome back to Ready to Redo, where each week we'll be mixing mediocre humor with the topic of redoing education. Today we have a very special episode because we're joined by the ever so accomplished Rick Kitagawa. Rick used to be a professor at the Academy of Art Uni in San Francisco and is currently a coach at Seth Godin's Akimbo Workshops. Seth Godin, yes, the author that I keep quoting in my videos. Rick is also doing consultancy work and coaching work on the side. So if your self-esteem drops throughout this interview, don't worry, I feel the same way. In this chunky one, we're discussing everything from how to write a solid resume and translating our value to potential employers, to questioning, do grades even matter? And discussing Rick's own experiences with teaching. And as always, there is a video version of this podcast. All the information's down in the description. Okay, I'll stop blabbing. Let's begin. Okay, so I have first a scenario question for you. And this will take you back to your uni teaching day. So this is going to be interesting. Say if you've got a student who has gotten, say, like a D, C or D, and they're lacking confidence and they feel like they're a failure. So what would you, how would you approach this and what would you say to them? Mm, that's, a, that's a really good question. I, I think, I think it, it's really just taking an individual approach because when that student comes to me and they're like, you know, I, I'm, I have a D, I know I'm not doing well in, my, in, in your class. What can I do? It's very much like, well, what am I working with? Right? Like, are you having trouble getting through the content? Is it too much work? Is it, Am I not doing a good job as an instructor explaining things to you? Because then I can pivot and try to introduce some other teaching methods, right? Like, you know, for people that don't know me, uh, my background was teaching business and career skills for creative specifically at a private art university in uh, the United States, right? So I think it's always looking at these with a very individual response because education is so individual, right? We all learn differently. We all have different circumstances. It's not like we all magically, you know, go to university and we're all, we all have the exact same schedule with the exact same constraints in terms of finances and language spoken, right? Like I have a lot of international students where English is a second or third language and I, I'm, you know, monolingual for the most part. And so I couldn't go into a university in Korea and then and take university level classes in Korean, you know, and it's like, that's super difficult, right? Yeah, that, mm -hmm. that's, yeah, it's incredibly difficult. And I think it's easy for instructors to be like, well, you knew this was going to be an English mm -hmm. tough luck, but like, that's really just lacking empathy and understanding, like, are we here to sort of make it easy for ourselves as instructors? Or are we here to actually teach people? Right. And then yeah. And so, I mean, I don't know, grades are a whole nother thing that I, I don't necessarily agree are super helpful, but um, that that's sort of how I would start the conversation, I guess. Mm -hmm. I hope that. Sort yeah, of it, it does. And 
And speaking of grades, I'm just going to skip right through and it says, okay, so I did a little bit of a stalk <laughs> and I, I found you on Rate My Professors. So I'm going to be referencing a lot of stuff there. Disclaimer, it's okay. Like, it's fine. <laughs> they, they were very uh, happy with your teaching. And it says here, Rick lays it out all on the very first day of what it takes to get an A and how it's super realistic to achieve. So that's that's what they commented amongst other very positive things and i'm just very interested in your perspective on grading and why you really emphasize that during your classes anyway sure well first off i'm, I'm glad that the comments are all good and i'm like yeah. i'm about to wipe my brow and it's not because i'm <laughs> like oh I dodged a bullet it's more of like it's incredibly warm where i'm at oh yeah so, we, we should have um, i should have recorded that at the start actually get it yeah <laughs> rick is not um nervous he's just sweaty <laughs> yeah just just it's 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 hot anyway uh yeah because i mean i felt that and I, and I found in in my teaching experience that what i never liked as a student was having unclear expectations and i found it incredibly helpful and, and my students really enjoyed it that i was like i'm going to give you every opportunity to get a good grade in this class. And like, this is exactly what I expect. Here's samples of, you know, the midterm and the final, which are worth two fifths of your grade. I'll give you examples. You need more examples. I'll give you more examples. Here's a way to track your point. So when I give you homework back, you can check what your points are, right? And you can keep a running total. You should know exactly what you're going to get at the end of the semester, except for maybe the final, right? Because I'm going to grade that after class is done, right? Um, but you should know what you have going into the final at the very least. And also I make them, I give them the option to finish their final early. So I, I will give them feedback. So if they wanna, on, we had 15 week semesters, I'd say, give me your final on week 13, I will grade it for you by week 14 so you can resubmit it with the corrections on week 15. And, and yes, that's a crap ton of extra work because I'm basically grading an assignment twice just for fun. But I also, like, it's kind of, for me, it's always questioning what are grades for, uh -huh. right? Like, like, why do we have grades? Why do we care about them so much? And, and for me, it was kind of, and to be fair, earlier in life, up until I was 18, grades were like my jam. Uh -huh. So I am, I, was very fortunate and privileged in a way that the way my brain works of understanding something and being able to regurgitate it in short-term memory is very high. So like school is like all for me. So it's like, oh, you need me to just memorize a bunch of shit? Yeah. I don't know if I can swear on the podcast. Sorry. Swear, swear, there. just keep swearing. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, if you got to memorize a bunch of stuff and then just spit it back out and then I get an A, like, yeah. It was fine, Ugh. right? Like, like this was, mm -hmm. my brain would love that. And I was like, I'm smart, quote unquote, right? And then you get to university and I was like, one, this level of, of, of work is much higher. Um, and I, I was also fortunate to get accepted into a very competitive, uh, so I went to UC Berkeley uh, and I got in under a chemical engineering Dang. track, which is usually one or two in the United States. And so, um, you know, like I was the classic, like high test scores, high grades, president of everything, played two sports throughout high school. Like I'm like that classic, like 
kid that everybody hates because you know they're going to a good school. And then I got to college and I was like, none of this matters. And I failed my first calculus course. Oh. And I like, because I just never went to class. Also because um, it's calculus, so yeah. And it's also, yeah, it's yeah. also calculus. And, um, and at that point, I, you know, I kind of was just like, why did I care about this stuff so much in the beginning? Mm -hmm. um, and interestingly enough for me, it was never my parents. My parents were actually like, do whatever you want. And I was just very internally motivated to go to a good school. And I was like, I, I'm the type of person that goes to a good school, so I'm going to do that. And then I got to a good school and I was like, wow, like, I want to get involved in activism and the slam poetry scene and like all this and like theater. And I, so I did all this other stuff and I was like, I don't really care about school. I like learning, uh -huh. but I don't care about school. Yeah. And, and so that kind of led me to when I was going back for my second degree, I was just like, Hey teacher, I like you a lot. If you give me an F that is totally fine. And don't feel guilty about that because I know I didn't deserve it. I did it. I know I didn't deserve it, a because I'm turning. I'm not very good yet because I have I haven't made art for like 18 years, and now I'm trying to be a professional artist. Cool. And for me, grades at that point, I realized like grades are just like a system that makes it easy for us mm -hmm. for like society to measure people and to say like, oh, this goes here, this goes there. But like we all know that like grades are kind of subjective too, especially not. Especially in art, yeah. but it's not like a yes or no. It's like a, eh, <laughs> it looks good or it, it means something to me. Like, do you feel like it's more subjective in that sector? Oh, I, I, it's way more subjective in this sector, but I would say even something with like hard rules, right? In a way, say physics, right? Or, or chemistry or, or like mm. calculus, right? Like hard science stuff where you have tests, but they're, they're on a curve. So what I always found interesting is like, why are we passing people that obviously don't have a good full comprehension of the material, mm -hmm. right? Like, so either we should be tuning the material down to be more introductory so more people get it, or like, why are we passing? I know, I, I think I got a 65% on an organic chemistry test, and I got like a B plus. You're like, oh yeah yeah because i scale it on um, a curve yeah, right yeah. it's on a curve and it's like what like that makes no sense you want a bunch of organic chemists walking around that that, that are 65 percent yeah. organic that, that they, they understand slightly more than half of the material and like that's your job uh -huh. like why are we promoting that why don't we just say you know if you're not going to get a hundred percent or if you're not going to get maybe, I don't know, 70% of the course material, maybe you just shouldn't be a chemist. Maybe this isn't for you. But there is a catch, though, because to do an exam, from my experience, is to remember like a shit ton of material and then regurgitate it on the exam. And then if you get a good grade, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a good fill in the, fill in the blank. Like, yeah. So I feel like even if I were to get a hundred on chemistry, cool. But is that really, would you be incredible at that job? Even if you got an hundred or a 90 on the exam, I feel like they don't correlate. Oh, I, I completely agree. And I mean, I, I'm just saying like already the system itself doesn't make sense to me. Right. And, and you're right because these tests are just really, how good are you at memory recall? Mm -hmm. And at like the level of undergrad, 
why and, and today with the access to technology it's like why do you kind of need to memorize anything just a disclaimer here rick is talking mainly about the art sector so if it's med i'm sure he'd really appreciate it if you memorize the content like i get that it, you get faster so like i guess if i was painting something and i remembered how to paint it i don't have to get reference and i can just do it quicker and that means I could sell more paintings or something great. Like I, I see that there's a utilitarian benefit to it, but like at the end of the day, like we have the internet, right? It doesn't take very long to learn how to do anything or to find information. So why are we still testing on information retention when if we make the internet more accessible to more people, then no one needs to memorize very much unless you're doing something on a daily basis when it makes sense to have that kind of ingrained in you. And your whole point about like, does this test even matter? I'm like, no, like, I think we should, if we have tests, they should be more practical things, right? Where they should be more, more indications of doing things that you will actually be doing in, in a job. Like I feel like trade schools get a, a super bad rap, at least in the United States, but it's like, they teach you how to do something. How many people have a degree in something? And then like, if you were to do that job, like you'd have no idea what the hell you're doing because it's like knowing information is different from being able to actually do something. Sometimes they're the same, but a lot of times, you know, it's kind of the whole idea of like, when you learn basketball, do you want to do the physics of like how you should be shooting a ball or do you want to get out there and have someone coach you how to shoot a basketball? Yeah, exactly. And, and okay. So going on that like practical route, could you just explain a little bit of what you taught and then how you were able to, or were you able to make it more practical as opposed to memorization for the assessments or whatever? Sure. I mean, so I taught my, my class was career skills. Oh, so I also taught an entrepreneurship class a little bit later, but the main class I taught was focused on things like resume writing, cover letters, researching your company, uh, writing skills, interviewing skills, collaborative uh, pitching, and like pitching a project as a team. And then also we had some inf like stuff on intellectual property, free speech rights, and kind of like le uh, legal issues as it might be in the art industry. And so that was my class. And I kind of start off the class saying, like this is not about memorizing stuff and none of this there's no like tests because if it's a legal stuff thing you could look it up online and everything else resumes cover letters interview skills these are all practical things you have to do and you have to do them repeatedly and it's i'm trying to teach you a strategy of how to think about doing that as opposed to like write this word here and so i really try to focus on because it's a practical thing one having them do multiple iterations and two understanding that like it's so unique to them that you can't copy other people right there's no i can't give you a test on resume writing because to actually write a strong resume is going to be super context specific because good resumes are made for a very specific role and company like general resumes don't get anyone jobs at a professional level or, I don't, I don't want to say they don't get anyone jobs, but they are very ineffective. And especially for highly competitive jobs, like in the entertainment industry or the fashion industry, they will not get you a job. Right. 
Okay, so so basically, were you teaching to a certain demographic of students who generally wanted to work in entertainment, or were they completely from different um, areas, and you were trying to teach them a general skill of, say, resume writing, but trying to adapt it to literally any sort of sector? Yeah, I had the the chal- the constraint or challenge or fun time of teaching to anywhere between. 10 to 18 different majors in one <laughs> section of my class. Um, and so based on that, I did have to teach very much like higher level strategy stuff, right? Because I'm like, what you're talking about in fashion is completely different from trying to be a VFX artist, which is completely different from trying to pitch a gallery, which is completely different from trying to be an architect, mm-hmm. right? And so you have all of these very disparate fields, but what I was trying to teach them is, you know, like at the end of the day, it's all about how do you communicate your value in a way that is going to get that hiring manager most excited, right? And it's understanding. Can you give us a one on one of how to do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like what it is, it, it's really it's understanding who you are trying like any make, making change of getting a job, selling something, it's all about understanding kind of who is it for, right? And so if you're trying to get a job, you need to look at the hiring manager and say, what do they care about? And it's kind of like, do they care about technical skills? Okay, maybe. Do you, like At the end of the day, they want to hire someone who is not a jerk, is going to be cool to work with, can get the job done with probably minimal supervision because most managers don't know how to actually manage people um, and they don't want to actually have to do their job because no one likes doing work. We all like being lazy and wants to be able, but also needs to be able to then justify this hire to their boss. Right. Okay. And, and so if, if we're looking at how the money flows, which is generally most people's motivation, especially around career. So we're kind of like, okay, this hiring manager or this recruiter cares about X, they get paid by this person, they wanna make that person happy. How can me being hired make that recruiter make their boss happy? Interesting. And if I think about it that way, as opposed to I want this job, they don't care what I want, right? Like they could give a shit if I'm like, this has been my dream job. Like I've, I've followed your company <laughs> for 15 years since I was a child. And, and this is the reason why I even went into engineering or architecture or whatever. Like they don't mm-hmm. care, right? They do not care. I mean, it's good to stoke their ego a little bit because who doesn't like being told they're awesome, right? But you don't, don't go on about it. And it's saying, okay, I understand you're awesome. I'm a big fan. <laughs> I know this is what makes you awesome. That is how you get paid. And by the way, I can do that for you. Right. So I can help make you more money. So if you articulate that, they're going to be like, uh, you can do this. You're not a weirdo. Uh-huh. You're a decent human being. Yeah. I, why wouldn't we hire you? Right. So really emphasizing. So really researching, like doing your research and seeing what they're specific needs are to make profit is that right to like improve Generally. yeah improve their business or whatever it is but then how would you translate that onto something like a resume how would you translate to your skills or whatever it is and how it meets their requirements 
Sure. I mean, I, I think it's calling things out, right? It, it's it's trying to show results as opposed to just say what you did. You know, like on my resume, I could say something like, taught a bunch of students career skills, right? And you're kind of like, okay, <laughs> here's a little sticker for you, Rick. Good job, right? Good or job. <laughs> I could say, and it depends, right? Like, who am I selling to? If I'm selling to a university, if I'm trying to get a, a new teaching job, right? It's a university that has high level of international students, non-English speaking students, students who may traditionally not excel at the university level or like in terms of like written college level English writing, right? I'd be saying, I could say something like, has taught over 4,000 students uh, of varying levels of academic and English level proficiency career skills that have then got them jobs at companies such as, and then I could list some companies where my old students work. Uh -huh. Right. And now suddenly you're like, oh, this guy gets results. Right. Like, oh, I'm kind of interested. He doesn't just like, here's how to write a resume. Here's a template. Go do that. Right. Now it's like, oh, this guy, even if he does that, I don't even care. Right. Because he's getting my students jobs, which going back to who pays the bills, if a school starts placing more students in jobs, that school's reputation goes up, meaning more students go to that school, meaning they make more money meaning they're happier and more mm -hmm. secure in their little education jobs. Yes, yeah. <laughs> right? And, okay. and so it's kind of like, it's always, I always say like, think about what, like it's really just what does the other person care about? Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. And if you can align what you want with what they want, they're going to say yes. Because going back to what a job is, I don't, I don't think a lot of people think about this, but whatever your salary is, you have to provide a lot more value than that salary. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense as a business to even hire you. Imagine you provide, you sell $10 cupcakes. I don't know why $10, why cupcakes? You sell $10 <laughs> cupcakes. Okay, Joanna, you can sell 10 of them a day. Right. So you make, you make me $100. Mm -hmm. Okay. So minus the price of the cupcakes, I, I am never going to pay you a hundred dollars because then I'm not like my business is not making any money. Mm -hmm. I'm like literally not doing anything. Right. Okay. Or if I pay you $200 a, a day, I am actively just losing money. Mm -hmm. So whatever, like, I don't care if you're looking for six figure salary, if you're looking for 30 K a year, you know, whatever it is you want to, to make as an income, you need to provide usually double or triple that value to the company. And you show that you can do that in your resume. So addressing their needs of what, what, what they need to create their, you know, to create profit. But then also would it be smart to provide other values or other things that could make it seem that you can create more for them? Like how, how would you do that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a lot of it, it's kind of this tandem of showing that you have the requirements on like your resume. It's kind of the cover letter is sort of selling them on the idea that you can do it. And a lot of times uh, emphasizing transferable skills. Quick example of that is I used to get a lot of uh, ex-military students 
who were, you know, who, who'd done some military service that was helping to pay for their, their schooling. And they'd be like, I don't have any work experience. And I'm kind of like, what? yeah, I think you do. <laughs> And they're like, but it's all military. How do I translate that to, to the, the public sector, right? And so, like, for an example, I had someone who was like a submarine technician. He's like an engineer yeah. on a submarine, which is super cool, right? Yeah. Um, on a nuclear submarine, meaning there's like a nuclear reactor, like missiles, like if things go wrong, things are really bad, right? And they're like a billion dollars worth of like lives and nuclear material and weapons and whatever on these giant submarines, right? They're, they're not cheap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the U United States military budget is a whole separate topic, but, um, oh <laughs> but so, so uh, you know, and I told, and, and they were wanting to be a, a, a film producer. And I'm like, okay, as a film producer, what are film studios' biggest fear? It's losing money, right? It's having, well, it's, it's hiring. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> most, most of them are fairly inland. Like Warner Brothers isn't gonna be, blown up by somebody um yeah, yeah but uh their biggest fear is losing money is, is having a box office flop and having a producer who like can't keep their cool and wrangle everything and make some money and so i said this is your narrative is saying look i could handle being under like whatever 600 meters underwater in a pressurized bomb a nuclear bomb basically that's worth a billion dollars i think i can handle your 300 million dollar film don't worry, I got this. True. Exactly in those words. <laughs> don't worry, got it. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, I got it. I got it, everybody. They're like um, sold, sold. <laughs> yeah, but but do you see, it, it's all about like ad addressing the fears kind of ahead of time and showing them that like you don't have anything to worry about, mm -hmm. right? Because I mean, we're, fear is so natural, and if you can speak to that, that's a really big motivator because people don't like being scared. And the more certainty that you can give them that you're going to alleviate that fear and provide value, the easier it will be for them to say yes. Because hiring people, also understanding, hiring people is a very expensive process. Yeah. Um, bad hires are incredibly costly. So they're very much like, they're like, why are there so many, why is it so hard to get a job? It's because they're scared of making a bad hire. So they'd rather mm -hmm. drag it out for forever and talk to 10 million people than make a bad guess. So that's it for the first part of our interview with Rick Kitagawa. You can find his work at brightspottrust.com as well as Kaiju Coaching. Or you can just Google his name and, and give a little stalk at Rate My Professors. Um, he's got really good reviews. Awesome. We'll see you next week with part two.